Welcome to the podcast, The Objects That Made Us. I'm Amy Sim. In every episode of this podcast, I will be inviting a guest to share with us a personal object and the story behind it. These stories will offer glimpses of Singapore's past, weaving together a tapestry of our collective memories. Today we are at the home of Suzanne. Can you please introduce yourself first? My name is Suzanita Zakaria, and you can call me Suzanne for short. Professionally, I am a leadership coach. I'm happy to share with you some things which are precious to me. I know you have this object that you would like to share, and it's something very close to your heart. Can you tell us what it is? So what I have with me is an old recipe book that was written by my mother. It's basically a notebook. It's an old school notebook, all torn and tattered. It's basically a notebook where she copied her recipes from the radio program back then in Singapore. And then we found it after she passed away. It's very precious to me. So I've been keeping it and trying to see whether I can get some recipes out of that book. So how old is this book? From the date that was written in the first entry in the book, it seems that she has this notebook since I was one. So that would be 50 years. Let us look at this book. And it's like a hardback notebook, the kind of notebook we used to see very often when we were younger. It's about, I would say, you know, slightly smaller than A4. And it's very thick. It's got full of stuff in there. Can you tell us a little bit more what your mother did with this book? What's in it? So what I discovered is the first one-fifth of the book, there are many recipes written in there. They are handwritten, but they were not written in Romanized alphabet. So they were written in a Jawi script, which is basically a script that uses Arabic alphabets. And that seems to be the go-to mode of writing back then in the 70s, because I remember even the Malay newspapers back then, they were written in Jawi. So her recipes were all written in Jawi and very likely she got these recipes from radio programs back then where it's very common for the morning show to have the DJs to give one or two recipes. And I'm pretty sure my mother would run to be close to the radio and copy down whatever she could. And that's how she gets her information of how to make new foods, basically. Have you seen her doing that, like going to the radio and taking down notes? Yes, I have. I've seen her being close to the radio. I have seen her being close to the TV. Back then, we also have lots of those like magazine shows. So she would run to be close to the TV. When I got older, I remember she asked me to help her to transcribe, to write, because maybe I write faster. I'm not sure. So yeah. And can you read Jabi? I would grade myself as someone who can read Jawi as a first grader. I'm not a quick reader. I can figure it out, but it takes me 10 minutes probably to read like a page compared to someone who knows Jawi really well. So I can figure it out, but it takes me a long time. Can you read for us some of the entries in this recipe book? What kind of uh, dishes? Uh, what does she write? There were dishes that were written in Jawi that's called durian pudding and ayam guling, which I don't know what that means. I think guling means like turn around. Maybe it's like roasted chicken or something. There's moussaka, which is a Middle Eastern dish. And I know back then for the Malay community, I mean, now it's common for all of us to keep all kinds of different dishes, different cuisines. But back then for a Malay family to be cooking an Arabian dish, it's quite exotic. Do you see any of your favorite dish in this book? Unfortunately, no. I don't remember trying out any of the recipe. I don't know whether my mom actually cooked what she wrote. <laughs> but also to be fair, I was very young. I was like probably between one and I don't remember eating a lot. I was playing a lot, definitely outside. So I don't remember. And how is Jawi different to Malay? And I think Jawi scripts looks very much like Arabic scripts. How are they different? 
So the difference is in JavaScript, because there are certain phonetics that exist in the Malay language that does not exist in the Arabic script. So for example, in Arabic, there is no P sound. They don't say pizza, they say pizza. There are many, many words in Malay which has the P sound. So Jawi actually will create a new letter that specifically make that sound. When we look at Jawi, there are actually letters that are created specifically to cater to the Malay language for the fact that there are certain sounds that are not being demonstrated in the Arabic alphabets. Mm -hmm. So it seems like at that time in the early 70s, Jawi was still very widely used among the Malays in Singapore. When did you notice the recipe book starts to change from Jawi to Bahasa Melayu? In her book itself, I would say the first one-fifth of the entries were all in Jawi. And then I noticed it started to be like in normal Malay language. And then she also started to have clippings of uh, recipes which are from newspapers as well. So I can see the multi-format that was beginning to show itself in the notebook. And I also find my own handwriting like this one, which is my handwriting, writing a recipe. So that's probably me trying to help her out. So this is what? Kueh donuts. Yeah. <laughs> It's very neat handwriting. How old were you back then? I have no idea. I mean, I would say I can write like this probably when I was primary two. Maybe I was eight or nine. I it's amazing I if you can write like that in primary two. It's very, very neat. Definitely a more than eight years. So I won't be writing like this when I'm like four or five for mm-hmm. sure. Would you say it's like 80s or 90s when your mom switched from writing in Jawi to Romanized alphabets? I would say confidently it's in the 80s. You said like it's not just recordings as in, you know, writing from radio or TV, but there were also news clippings. She has all these recipes that she photocopied or she took news clippings that she cut from Brita Harian back then. As you see, this is 1997. It's quite recent, February 1997. And it's a recipe of all kinds of quays and biscuits. And yeah, she seems to like to take recipes that has to do with desserts. Do you remember her cooking lots of desserts? I do remember her cooking a lot of Malay desserts, like, you know, those kuih talam, kuih koswi, that kind of stuff. I don't remember her making savory desserts as much. So I can see lots of news clippings. You know, did she also contribute any of her recipes to the newspaper? Yeah, so in the notebook, I found one particular piece of news clipping that she needfully plastered and glued to the last page of the notebook. It's actually a recipe that she contributed to the paper, to Brita Haran back then under this column called Apa Nak Masak, which literally means what to cook. And the recipe that she contributed is called Musaja. It is a Middle Eastern dish that I have never tasted. Now, I would love to try it myself. It looks like it has minced meat, onions, and lots of spices, and yogurt. Right. And have you tried cooking it? No, I actually now would like to cook it because it sounds delicious. It doesn't have a picture, but just from looking at the ingredients alone with all that mix, it sounds like it's really, really good. So you haven't tried to cook or you or your siblings never tried to cook anything from this recipe book? No, we haven't. We have been talking about making it into a digital book. We've been talking about making it into a family project, but nope, we haven't actually do it ourselves. How did you come to own this book? My mom passed away in 2018. So when we were cleaning up her stuff, I found this book in her bookshelf. I told my sister I want this book. And so I took it before anything happens. And then I've been keeping it basically, yeah. I guess your sisters would be very jealous of you. <laughs> So your mom was the main person cooking for the whole family. Was that right? Do you remember like what was her role? You know, did she get frustrated having to cook? Was it just cooking for your family? No, I have very good memories. She loves to cook. It's something that she does and she doesn't take a particular frustration or extra joy in it. It's just what she does. 
And I've always enjoyed whatever that she serves. Did she cook for your family, Jess, or she was cooking for an extended family? Back in the 70s, we lived in a big kampung house in Kaki Bukit, which is now Bedok Reservoir. There were three families there. So easily, I think there were more than 15 people in that one big house with like, I think, four or five bedrooms. But each family cooked for their own family. So my mom cooks for her own family of five. There's three of us, three siblings and my dad. And my aunties cook for their own families as well. So yeah, so they all have their own little kitchenette in that big kitchen. Yeah. And do you think like, you know, do they share recipes? Like did your mom share recipes with the other aunties and the other two families? Do they talk about it? Oh, I'm pretty sure they do because I remember many, many mornings of just listening or hearing my mom and my aunties just cackling away in the kitchen. So I think when you have that kind of close relationship and so much interaction, I'm pretty sure they share food, they share recipes, they share ingredients together. Do you keep recipe books yourself nowadays? Like, you know, what's your habit? Like, I guess you cook sometimes and do you? <laughs> yeah, I do cook. I mean, now we have YouTube. So I watch a lot of recipes and learning how to do things through YouTube. I learn the most when I lived abroad, of course, because you miss local food and then you just have no choice but to learn how to do it. And now I also use YouTube to train my own helper of how to cook the way the family likes it. The way information about cooking is being passed now is so different. Like, for example, like how I would do it is I will show my helper how to do it and then write down the recipe and then send her the link of the YouTube video so she can watch it to reinforce her learning. Back then for my mom, it was just copying a recipe straight from the radio and then you're left on your own to figure out the techniques. There's no visual information on how to do it. So I feel that what we have now is really a lot more holistic as compared to before. Mm -hmm. So you can't really go wrong. You can watch it, you can read it. Whereas I think, you know, earlier on for your mom, like it was very important for her to take down all the details, all the steps and to follow it very closely. And who knows, there might be different variations and individual creativity like put in there as well. Totally. And it's really about how the reader interpret what is written in text, right? So like right now, if I'm looking at that recipe in the newspaper clipping that my mom contributed, I see the instructions, but the way I do it will probably be different from what she actually meant when she wrote it. Yeah. But that's the risk that we take when we do text recipes. Mm -hmm. Do you have any favorite recipe from this book? No, because I haven't tried any. So the first one that I will probably try is this one, the one that she contributed to Brita Haran, Musaja. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds Arabian. It does. It does. It sounds very exotic. So I think that sounds like a wonderful project if you start to cook the recipes that your mom recorded or, you know, submitted to Barita Harian. Yeah, I look forward to hearing how it goes. Thank you. I hope it turns out decent. Thank you very much, Suzanne. Thank you. Thank you. The Objects That Made Us is produced and hosted by Amy Sim and Yap Xiao Chong. Music and sound design by Mandrik Tan. Translated by Lim Wenwen and Lim Hui Sin. This podcast is made possible with the support of the National Heritage Board. Thank you for listening.